generations. They have been the two biggest names in terror. He may get the blood, but I'll get the glory. When he's coming back. This summer, for the first time ever. She's mine! Two legends will come together. It's time to put this bad dog to sleep. For God! Freddy versus Jason. Winner kills all. Rated R. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast that is covering every single horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my other fantastic host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, what is how, up, guys? how are you feeling Sorry. about covering your favorite movie in the franchise today? <laughs> See, I'm really depressed right now, not because of Freddy vs. Jason, but I was just on Twitter and I saw Cobra was trending, so I was excited for a second, and I guess it's just some healthcare shit, so. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, you know no, what else is trending right now is Harley Race passed away today, which is really sad. Oh, that is a bummer. Rest but uh, Definitely. But Freddy vs. Jason is not my favorite sequel, but I am very excited to talk about it. I think, you know what? Sometimes our not favorite movies are the most fun to talk about. Right? Well, yeah. I mean, earlier online, I think it was Nat Brimmer was saying that he was probably going to skip this episode because <laughs> I didn't like it. But yeah, like, Nat, if you skip this, we will come to your house and make you listen. I, I love talking about movies I'm not a fan of. Like, I try not to get malicious. I felt bad about Jason Goes to Hell, that episode, because then uh, a day or two ago, uh, I, I noticed online that there was a, a, an article shared, I think from Jed Central, or Jed Central or something like that, but Adam Marcus was talking about how people have been very cruel. <laughs> and for a second, I was just like, oh, shit. Oops. So I... I emailed Adam because we were going to record a bonus episode and I sent him a link and I'm like, three out of four of us really love it. And I haven't heard back yet. Shit, so, I'm sorry. Yeah. You know what? I think that it's more an email thing because um, he seems to be really upfront about enjoying talking to people about the movie and his experience doing it. And I think in all honesty, it has experienced a bit of a reexamination. Uh, in the past few years, so we'll see. Plus, he could probably kick the shit out of both of us, let's face it. Oh, so, dude, like, anybody I, can kick the shit out of me. I, mean, I am so not a tough guy. It's incredible. No. See, that's um, what I love about having somewhat of a like a, a harder exterior. Some people think I'm like a badass, and they get to know me, and they're like, no, he's basically a Nicholas Sparks novel. I was, I was counseling a nine-year-old today, and we were playing one-on-one -on -one basketball during our counseling, and he was beating me pretty badly at the time. And he's like, are you letting me win? And I'm like, nope. I'm just not very athletic, dude. So <laughs> I did end yeah. up winning. I did turn it up a notch because I absolutely will not let kids beat me. Well, uh, after you started talking shit, you threw elbows and stuff. He talked so much <laughs> trash. He talked it's always so nine much. and ten-year-olds, man. Oh, my God. Um, like, my son is the biggest shit talker. And it's like, oh, what? Get yeah. out of here. Go yeah. clean your room. Lacey, come on up. My doggie is with us tonight. You can hear her in the background. 
who's going to try to join us. All right, so we have another guest <laughs> tonight. So we are uh, we are joined by Alex De, Alex De Vincenzo from BrokeHorrorFan.com and also the director of a number of shorts, including one that I really enjoyed, The Horrors of Autocorrect, which is a really funny uh, horror comedy short that I remember seeing at the Boston Underground Film Fest. It might have been two or three years ago now as part of their homegrown horror selection. Alex, how are we? Uh, I'm doing good. Tough act to follow, follow following a dog, but I'm excited to be here. She's a really good dog, but you know, <laughs> she poops in the room sometimes, so you might be able to... Uh, her and me both. So, right. oh, there we go. All right. <laughs> Finding out things already. So, Alex, <laughs> I always love to start by asking what it is about the Friday the 13th series that you really enjoy. Like, what was it that drew you to the series, and why have you kind of maintained that love for it through the years? Um, overall, I think, uh, I mean, Halloween's my favorite movie of all time. Um, like many kids getting into horror, I started with the slashers, um, which leads into my love of Freddy vs. Jason, but I'll talk about that in a second. Um, and, uh, I think Nightmare on Elm Street and Halloween are two of my favorite movies. They're much stronger than any individual Friday the 13th, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But the Friday the 13th series overall is such a... It's like comfort food. You know what you're getting. Mm-hmm. It didn't never deviates particularly far from its formula because it knew what worked. And even when it does deviate, it's kind of like I don't know. It's it's still still kind of fits like a glove. Um, I think that's something that the other franchises lack. They kind of, for better or for worse, went all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of inconsistency. But Friday the Thirteenth is just so consistent throughout. Um, it's one of those things you can just put on any entry, any time of day, and I'll sit there and watch it. Sure. Any particular entry that like really calls to you? Uh, my favorites are part four and part six. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I think we're all on the same page right there. <laughs> um, and if you add those two numbers up, you get part 10, which is what we covered last week. And it's <laughs> nothing to do with our episode tonight. So. Brilliant plug, though. <laughs> so... I was, in my head, I was trying to do the math in my head. I was like, wait, I don't think we're on that episode. <laughs> so, and what was it about when we, when you saw that we were going to cover Freddy versus Jason, what was it that said like, yeah, I want to get in on this episode? Okay. So I'll try to make a long story short here, but Freddy versus Jason is kind of responsible for making me a horror fan. Okay. Um, I knew of Freddy and Jason like pop culturally, but I hadn't seen any of the movies before. It came out. Um, and then, I mean, I just remember it really piqued my interest. I was, I think, 14 at the time. Mm-hmm. So, so like a good age to start getting into to horror, I guess. Um, I didn't really have like the cool older sibling or friend or whoever, like who got me into horror when I was a kid. Um, so a little bit of a late bloomer. But when Freddy vs. Jason came out, I was super interested. It had like a really cool soundtrack with a lot of bands that I loved at the time. Um and just, I don't know, looked like a fun movie, but I didn't want to really spend all the time to watch 17 movies before mm-hmm. I could see the new one. Um, so in my my naive brain, I was like, oh, I can just watch the original Fire 13th and the original Nightmare on Elm Street, and I'll like, get the gist of it, and then <laughs> just go into Freddy vs. Jason. Um, so I remember renting the first Nightmare on Elm Street, like instantly loved it. It's always been a favorite of mine. Um, I was like, wow, that was amazing. Like, if Friday the 13th is, is half this good, like, I can't wait to see Freddy vs. Jason. Rented Friday the 13th, so confused, so disappointed by the end. I was like, well, that, that's Jason? Like, where's the hockey mask? I mean, I think, mm-hmm. like, everybody who saw Friday the 13th 
after hearing so much about it. Um, and obviously, I mean, I eventually went back and saw them all, but I kind of just went into Freddy vs. Jason with my limited knowledge. Um, and I, I loved every second of it. Now, granted, this was, like I said, I was 14 or so. Um, so, I mean, it just really spoke to me. I love, like, the, the sense of humor, the, the bloodshed, the, the cast is fun, the cinematography is fun. It has, like, a WWE-worthy final battle. Mm-hmm. Um, love the soundtrack. <laughs> now, I know nostalgia probably clouds by judgment, but, like, even now I'm 30 and I still love all those aspects. Um, it's still not my favorite entry in either franchise, but I have such a fondness for for not only what it did for me getting into the series, but as it stands as a whole, which I know we're going to talk about all the drafts that went into it, I still feel like this one kind of got the essence of both Freddy versus Jason the, the, the best uh, from what I've mm-hmm. read. Do you – how – easy was it where this was kind of like one of your first three you saw you mentioned you saw the original of each and that's it how easy did you find it to kind of follow what was going to happen in the movie like i take it that most of the people that saw this this they would have been well versed in both franchises how easy was it for you to kind of get an understanding of what was going on um more or less understood the the one thing that i i always assumed um um, bad with names. I should have the castles in front of me. But the the brother who's dead, who shows up in the in the bathtub, who mm-hmm. commits suicide. Um, I always assumed he was like a character from one of the other Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was kind of shocked when I went back and he wasn't. But other than that, I mean, it was pretty straightforward. And I think again, that, I think that's a relatively smart approach because people like me who hadn't seen any other movies could go in and still enjoy it. It didn't have as much as now as a fan, I would have loved if like Tommy Jarvis was in this or whatever, Mm -hmm. I would have been so confused. Um, and another thing for it being, for not being super well-versed in horror. Um, I also, I was still scared by this. Like it affected me. I mean, I think both the original Nightmare and to a smaller extent, the original Friday 13th as a 14 year old are like relatively scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one obviously to, to an even lesser extent, but it's still like, it has like a few moments that kind of caught me off guard. Um, pretty good atmosphere to it for right. what it is. Cool. So I think the best way to start this episode is to, cause this is such a long gesticulating project like people had talked about freddy versus jason since the mid 80s since mm-hmm. probably honestly probably since the final chapter and a night the original nightmare in elm street people wanted this movie they wanted to see these two titans and it took almost 20 years to bring it to life with really a decade going into like trying to develop this movie so let's talk a little bit about what went into trying to bring this to the screen? Um, I can tell you, everybody, right now, that the book that I am pulling most of my notes from is really fantastic. Uh, it is called Slash of the Titans, and it was written by, bear with me here for one second, folks, uh, Dustin McNeil. Slash of the Titans, The Road to Freddy versus Jason. Um, it's a really breezy read. It basically dives deep into just about every potential script or every script that was turned in. It interviews a number of the key players, uh, including uh, Ken Kurzinger and Robin Englund, who obviously were your Jason and Freddie in this movie. Um, 
And it's a really fun read. I cannot recommend it enough. Uh, Jerry, you've mentioned actually reading some of these scripts. So why don't you, if you can, talk a little bit about what your initial reaction was to some of the scripts that were brought up. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember uh, 1999, uh, I was 18, and I came across one of the scripts uh, that I can't remember who wrote it. But that was the script that made me very excited about the film. I mean, I think maybe that's why I was somewhat disappointed because I just loved the script so much. The script mm-hmm. I read, uh, script I read had the survivors from Jason Goes to Hell and Alice from, uh, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street 4 and 5 teaming up and basically going head to head with Freddy, with Jason and so on. And there was there was this huge fight in hell at the end. There were all these little Easter eggs. I mean, Michael Myers mask, Leatherface's chainsaw. There was it was just filled with. So many homages to both series and other horror franchises that it was just such a fun read. And also, I mean, it was cool just to follow kind of characters from both of the series, you know, Mm -hmm. seeing like where they would go next. Like it was really, really good read. It sounds like that would have been really fun. And I think it would have been I know, Alex, you said it might have been hard to follow if you had to, like, keep up with a bunch of characters from previous series. But for the folks that had been like really had grown up on these movies, it might have been really entertaining to see some of these characters come back overall. Yeah, I think it would have limited accessibility slightly. But I mean, if you're mm-hmm. calling your movie Freddy versus Jason, I mean, you're going to get butts in seats anyway. So why not service the fans, I suppose? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I, I understand both uh, both approaches. I understand not holding the film kind of to the, the set of rules where they have to have people from previous movies. I think that, uh, I mean, like Alex said, that would have limited accessibility. And I think that, that that's a smart move from, you know, a business perspective. Let's get as many people in there. Not, let's not confuse them. That That's fine. I, I just think it's more like the hardcore fans that, I mean, you, you get this movie. And I'm, I'll try not to get negative this episode. I, I actually don't have this burning hatred towards Freddy versus Jason. That's mm-hmm. more of a Jason goes to hell thing. But uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, Adam Marcus. But uh, anyways, uh, no, I mean, the movie's fun. Uh, my, my issue is that it just where does this movie take place? Or, or I don't mean like mm-hmm. location wise. I mean, where in stories could you go? We've went through how many movies with Jason? How many movies with Freddy? And this is kind of like a Jason X in the sense that Jason X is so many years in the future that it's just like, well, I mean, the the mentality is like, oh, well, you know, anything could have happened in that. That just led us to Jason mm-hmm. in space. I want to know where in both of the series Freddy versus Jason is. Right. I believe if you read the the actual the final script, um it's supposed to be after Jason goes to hell. Like, I, kn- I know now he comes out like with his full like hockey mask and machete. Um, but I believe that that was established in the in the script that Jason doesn't come like just out of the ground like that. Like he comes up from where he he was sucked in at the end of Jason goes to hell. Mm-hmm. I think and that's that's the uh, uh, Shannon and Swift wrote that. Yes, I believe so. Okay. Cuz I know I know a lot of their stuff was kind of rewritten after the fact. So yeah, I mean, definitely. I there was also also a passing reference to Tommy Jarvis in in their script like that he was trying to stop the construction, which is why there's all the construction that's never really explained in the final movie. Yeah. Um construction at Crystal Lake. Oh wow. So I want to read you a quote from Slash of the Titans, and this kind of ties into the script you were – or not the script so much because I don't think it ever went to um, from idea to page, but the idea overall. 
So I'm just going to quote you from the um, book, and then you can tell me who you think came up with this idea. For my money, I wanted the first scene to be Freddy in his environment. Jason shows up and fucks up that environment, much like there's a scene in the movie where that happens. Then suddenly the floor splits between them, and you realize they're in hell. The idea was that they're both of these guys were hell's assassins. For me, the idea of hell having an assassin that kills teenagers when they've sinned so that they go straight to hell was interesting. My movie would have started with hell spitting them back up to earth, where it would become a contest between them. I would have brought back in Nancy Thomas, Nancy Thompson, and Tommy Jarvis as the main characters. I would have also brought back Creighton Duke, who would have survived Jason Goes to Hell. Adam the million-dollar questions, folk. Who, whose idea was this? Adam Marcus. <laughs> Adam fucking Marcus. In your face, Jerry. I would pay twice to see this movie because that sounds awesome. I really love that idea over it. Um, no, that, that, that's kind of my that's kind of my big thing about Freddy vs. Jason. Like I said, I'm not like – you know, I don't have a lot of venom to spew at the movie. It's a fun movie. It's just mm-hmm. with all the million of like million ideas and different drafts that it went through. Like I remember going to the theater and walking out saying, "Out of all of that, this is what we ended up with." Like, mm-hmm. like there's there's hints of greatness I think in the movie, but but I I just remember following the whole development. I mean, since since my teenage years, mm-hmm. and it's just like, give me something more. You know, give me something. Do you think you felt that at the time, or do you think that that uh, I like at, at the time I remember walking out of this movie feeling really excited and really enjoying it, and then maybe looking back later going, I wonder if we could have had more. Did you feel that immediately after walking out of the theater? I think it was the opposite. Uh, I walked out of the theater really kind of annoyed and like okay. irritated by the movie, and as time has uh, has. Time has gone on. Like I've learned to appreciate the movie more. I'm mm-hmm. finally to the point where I could watch Freddy versus Jason and be like, "Oh, that's cool." I mean, mm-hmm. I think my my son loves it with a passion. Mm-hmm. I mean, I and that's that's exciting to me, you know. But it's not a bad movie. It's just like, I mean, you the title itself just invokes this epic feeling. You know what I mean? And it's just mm-hmm. like. Aside from that final fight, which I do love, I love that, and it's so gory and just, oh, it's great. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, like, if you really think about it, like, I mean, Jason's kind of like Freddy's little bitch throughout the whole movie. And it just, mm-hmm. it's frustrating because I want Jason to just knock Freddy's ass out 24-7. So to see a movie where Jason's kind of like a puppet the whole time – like even Jason was led by his mom or, you know, his love for his mom and that kind of stuff in the earlier films. But he was never just kind of like this pushover. You know what I mean? Like uh, Freddy versus Jason feels like Jason is that bullied kid who at the end finally steps up to his bully. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's that's not the Jason that I just grew up loving. My Jason was a force of nature who definitely wasn't afraid of water at all. He was afraid <laughs> of drowning. I mean, he was he he walks his ass right into the water to get Tommy at, at the end of six. He's in the water at seven. He gets on a fucking cruise in eight. He's not afraid of the water. He's just afraid of drowning. So I feel like uh, I mean, we'll get into this more, but I feel like Ronnie Yu's kind of detachment from the characters made that film and the development suffer more. So I definitely want to put – I definitely want to tackle all – you made four really good points there. First, I want to say no puppet. You're the puppet. Um, but I do want to talk about 
I do want to talk about the characterization of both Freddie and Jason later, yeah. obviously. Ronnie use detachment. I think that's a really good way to look at it uh, overall. Um, I think those are two things. And also the whole, is Jason afraid of the water thing? So I think Shannon and Swift have both um, addressed that after the fact. And we asked them um, very nicely if they would like to come on and talk about this movie. And they told us to go pound sand. So as far as I'm concerned, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, you know, the gloves are off. No, they were very kind. They, they were very busy. There's, I think there's literally one person we've asked that basically told us to. So the first script that was turned in was by Lewis Abernathy, who is not quite known for his script work. He's actually a private investigator, uh, surveillance expert, treasure hunter, armorer, weapons manufacturer, and deep Wait, ocean what? explorer. Yeah, I know. Like I'm reading this again from... And, and they feel, didn't make his script? I feel like this is going to be like... Um, Basically, me reading Slash of the Titans from like chat page to page, but um, yeah, I, apparently the first script was Freddy versus Jacques Cousteau, which uh, which wondering why it didn't get made. But who is Louis Abernathy for starters? He's variously an actor, writer, script doctor, director, effects maker, private investigator, surveillance expert, which to me is like creep that peers in the window, treasure hunter, armorer, like what armorer? Armorer, he makes armor. Weapons <laughs> manufacturer, like what the fuck? And deep ocean explorer. I feel like Louis Abernathy is like that era's Mark Duplass. So this is – it's incredible. So he turns in a script that then gets rewritten by David Shaw, uh, who is a splatterpunk author of a number of books. Really cool. Um, this never quite gets to Greenland. New Line Cinema and Sean Cunningham do not get on the same page. So I, I want to give you guys a quick rundown. Does either of you guys know the, the rundown of this first script? I don't, but I, I will say, like, Louis Abernathy did write the story for Deep Star Six, so... Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so we had the Cunningham connection, right? So, yeah. <laughs> so I think what we need to do is get Louis Abernathy on the show, and I really want to talk about... I want to talk about his treasure hunting. Surveillance and treasure hunting. <laughs> and That's he directed really- House 4, guys, so you know what? So he's qualified. He's qualified. So let me give you a very brief rundown. And you guys let me know what you think here. Uh, first thing, this is the script that initially adds the Fred heads to the story. This idea that a number of cult worshipers were worshiping Freddy Krueger. Um, Shao retains a lot of Abernathy's elements, except he takes them in a really dark direction. For example, the Fredheads would actually go as far as to burn themselves, so they would have all these burn scars so they could look like Freddy Krueger, their hero. That is great. There is a flashback in the movie um, that shows Freddy as a human being responsible for – burning, I'm uh, sorry, drowning Jason Voorhees. So the connection between them now is Jason recognizes Freddy and he wants to exact his revenge. Um, it takes place in the televangelism studio for the last act. And there's a showdown between Freddy, Jason, the teenagers in the movies, the state police and the cultists. And if I remember correctly, that there, it basically everybody dies in this movie. Like there's a massive shootout. The kids aren't really spared. The police 
police aren't spared. What? Cultists aren't spared. Um, that was going to culminate in an absolute fucking bloodbath overall. Um, so yeah, it's a really dark, dark movie, especially in Shao's rewrite of it. Um, Give me that movie, but mm-hmm. one part of that approach that it's always it's always just made me laugh is hearing mm-hmm. the term Fred heads. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't care if it's like slapstick comedy or like like martyrs mm-hmm. level heavy. Like you will never mm-hmm. be taken. Okay, so let's. Oh, are you still there? Did uh, Jerry drop out? No, no, I'm good. Oh, I'm bad. Okay, so speaking of dark and speaking of martyrs level darkness. The plan or plot revolves around the Fredheads in kidnapping and impregnating a virgin bride. Now, this virgin bride, how old was Jamie Lloyd in Halloween 6? Oh, boy. Uh, in the timeline? Mm-hmm. I mean, she was what? I think maybe 15? Yeah, maybe yeah. 15, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, this movie would actually top it in terms of creepiness. Uh, it would be a 13-year-old girl named Lizzie who, depending on who you ask, was special needs. Jesus. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's fucking dark shit right there. That's like so, true detective shit. Yeah. So, Alex. Like, I, I, I want McConaughey in this. So, Alex, <laughs> let me get your opinion. So you go down, you go into this movie, you see a 13-year-old impregnated <laughs> by a bunch of burned cult victims, and everybody dies through a shootout at the end. How are you walking? <laughs> how, how would you receive this movie? At yeah, I'm, out of it? I'm not so sure I'd be as excited to see the rest of the movies at that point. Um, I think I think the Fredheads, uh, despite the name, the name is super cheesy, but the, the cult of Freddy... Um, is a really cool idea, and I think if you're trying to reboot Nightmare on Elm Street like today with Robert England, I think that's a really cool entry point to mm-hmm. have these people who are just like dedicated to him, like almost copycats to an extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think it it was a smart approach for Freddy versus Jason because it, it placed. And I know there's an argument to be made in the final Freddy versus Jason that there's too much emphasis on one killer or the other, depending on who you ask. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, the, the Fredheads script, and I know they keep, I have read Slash of the Titans, it's been a while, but I, I do love that book. Um, and I believe like the Fredheads is in like half of the scripts. Like, mm-hmm. so somebody really liked that idea to carry it over. Um, and I do think it's, like I said, it's a cool idea, but I just don't think it works for Freddy versus Jason because it just makes it a Freddy movie that happens to have Jason in it. Right. I think you're right. I think that the Fredheads were in some way, shape or form in almost every single script until the Shannon Swift draft. Actually, was uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't the Fredheads also uh, brought up to when Freddy's Dead was being developed? Or am I mistaken? I, I appreciate about Scowl, that. What like, do you remember? Didn't it? If I could be wrong, so I mean, if if I'm wrong, listeners, feel free to tell me I'm full of shit. But I, I'm pretty sure didn't David Scowl like didn't he? pitch freddy's dead as well and had the fredhead thing or uh, it's quite possible i think he was brought on board it might have been part five or part six that shao started to get involved on the peripheral with like the nightmare in elm street series. yeah yeah i mean that would have been interesting i like the idea i mean i'm i'm with you guys like i think the idea is cool i mean i'm good without the 13 year old because that's mm-hmm. kind of creepy mm-hmm. but i mean the idea of a cult i i think that that's perfect for uh, for either of the characters, really, but I do agree with Alex that Freddy versus Jason would be uh, like probably a misstep to incorporate that into a movie. I mean, because I mean, when it, 
when it's all said and done, it's Freddy versus Jason. You know, that's kind of what you want to focus on. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe um, some of these drafts introduced, like there's a cult leader who with some cheesy name, I forget, Damien something. Dominic um, Necros. I that's think it, Dominic it. Necros. That's, that sounds like a, a white, like, horror rapper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, and like, at that point, there's a there's a quote in that book somewhere where somebody's like, "Imagine like going to see Freddy versus Jason and getting Dominic Necros instead of yes. Freddy." Like, it's just like it's so uh, beside the point. Like, it, I said, it, it could work in an Elm Street movie, a standalone Elm Street movie, but not not where you're already combining two worlds. Why add like a third element in there? The only way you could have made the idea worse of like centering the movie around the centering it around the cult leader like dominic necros is if instead of getting jason you get roy like roy comes <laughs> <back>. <laughs> Freddy, Freddy, Freddy. and and like, just to, make, to make jerry happy roy's actually a worm <laughs> so oh god that would you know been... what i do wonder though i wonder if that approach of having the kind of cult obsessed with him i wonder if maybe simon barrett was just a huge fan of that script and worked that into a horrible way to die because that movie, I think, is awesome. such a great example. It is a, very awesome. I think it's such a great example of that same kind of approach. You know, these kind of fanatical people obsessed with this murder, who, in a lot of ways, makes it to where that murderer comes back. You know, I think we should reach out and ask him. <laughs> I'll do it. All right. <laughs> um, I think we should reach out. No, you're right. It is. I mean, and Alex, to your point, I think it's a really good idea. I think that the idea of this cult that worships a killer can really work. Maybe not in the first Freddy versus Jason movie that fans have been looking for for like two decades and have thought was going to happen since 1993, since the very end of Jason Goes to Hell. This movie also introduces the idea that although both Freddy and Jason are evil, Jason is less evil and more of an anti-hero that you can kind of rally around because he's not quite as bad as Freddy is. Does that work? I don't like that because that was one of the many, many things. And man, I'm sorry, Adam Marcus, that I just didn't like about (laughs) Texas Chainsaw 3D. (laughs) <laughs> which Adam Marcus did a rewrite on. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't want these horrible, and I mean horrible in a good way. I don't want these slasher icons that I grew up being afraid of and loving to watch become anti-heroes. I don't want Leatherface to get adopted by his cousin and, you know, and do go mm-hmm. after, ba- like, bad people. I, I, I want... Exactly. I don't want I don't want a Jason being, oh, well, he's a bad guy, but he's not as bad as Freddy. I want these awful, despicable people going at it. That's that's what mm-hmm. I want. Your thoughts, Alex. Um, I understand the approach because, like, objectively, I mean, Freddy killed and arguably molested children. And Jason is like a confused kid who's still kind of reliving his trauma. Um Freddy is more evil uh, on an objective stance, but to turn Jason into like an anti-hero, mm-hmm. uh, just, I mean, just screams wrong to me. I mean, especially after the last few Jason movies leading up to the movie where they tried to do something different with him and it kind of failed every time, mm-hmm. at least as a Jason movie. Like I think Jason X is a fun movie, but a bad Friday the 13th movie. Right. Um, it just seems again, like a counterintuitive to like why fix what isn't broken. Right. Well that, and like, uh, 
you know, yeah, uh, Jason's kind of a scared kid and he's trying to, you know, deal with all that stuff. I understand that, but he's also the motherfucker who put a machete in a, a guy in a wheelchair's face and sent him downstairs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's no redemption. I mean, Jason's body count compared to Freddy's, it's got to be about four times the amount. Like, the thing about the Elm Street movies, they're not body count movies. No, no, no. Like, his, J- Freddy's kill count is a fraction of what Jason's is overall. I feel like Jason doesn't have as much fun with it as Freddy does. Freddy always mm-hmm. likes to mess with his victims, you know, set them up with jokes, make them think that they're awake, but they're really dreaming, you know, try to screw with them. Kind of like Michael Myers does. Jason, he just wants to hit you in the face with the machete. like that, mm-hmm. And that's what I love about the Friday the 13th movies. There's no reasoning with Jason. There's no joking around with him. You know, like I, I feel like there's this fun back and forth between Freddy and his protagonist in his series because we get – Characters like Alice and, uh, you know, uh, these uh, Nancy and these people that are like they're badass enough to kind of go after him and talk shit back. And Mm -hmm. that's the fun back and forth. Whereas Jason, I mean, he doesn't care. He just wants to, you know, rip your head off. Yeah, there's no reason. He's a killing machine. Yeah. So our next script that was turned in. Right around by mid nineteen eighty four, like new lines, like we're not going to use the Abernathy show draft, like eh, it's just not for us. Um, the team of Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore, uh, neither of whom have written a horror movie at that point, and I don't believe either of them have since, are brought on board. They are known for their work in Star Trek, specifically um, writing and producing Star Trek: The Next Generation for a number of years. Um, so I think that's a pretty good fit, seeing that Jason's going to go into space sooner than later. Um, but being a Trekkie, Michael DeLuca hires these guys based on those credits overall. Um, and this is a pretty interesting take. Uh, Jerry, you touched on this one a little bit when we recorded Jason X. This is the one where Jason is not from the movies is not real. Jason is a fictional character. Um, that the movie and the real Jason are, is someone the movies are all based on. And the movie starts with the real Jason getting caught and he's going to be put on trial for his crimes. Um, Crystal Lake is being redeveloped once the killer is caught as a luxury resort. And I think that's something that makes its way, even though it's not addressed specifically, it makes its way into the Shannon and Swift draft. Because of the construction. Mm-hmm. See, I, I'm i fine with the construction thing and the kind of luxury resort thing. I think that opens it up to some fun, interesting possibilities. It's just the idea that, you know, the, the movies are based on a real person. And, like, that's a little too meta for me when it comes to a Friday mm-hmm. the 13th movie. You know, like, that's, that's something – I mean, no offense to this series, but, I mean, that's something that – would be in a Scream movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, was, I, was this draft written right after Scream? Because it kind of seems like... This is it? more written around the time that A New Nightmare would have come out. Wow, okay. like 93, 94. Yeah. Huh. No, I see, yeah, I, I don't... I, I think that's where the Friday 13th series have kind of not went down the train. Because, I mean, they have... Every movie has their own fan base, so I try not to, to, to you know, slander it. But I think that... That's where the entries that I'm not a huge fan of kind of suffer, in my opinion, is when they take something that's not broken. You know, they take something, they try to fix it, they try to do something way out there. And I, I think that 
a lot of Friday Thirteenth fans, we don't want the same exact movie and over and over, like over and over. Don't get me wrong, but we want a Friday the Thirteenth movie. And I think before all the legal issues that you know Cunningham and Miller have gotten into, I think that's another thing that kind of stopped us from getting a new movie is that so many people were trying to, I think, overthink it. Mm-hmm. You know, like oh, we need a flashback where it'll. it'll describe jason's dad and there's multiple timelines and there's marital problems it's like no just give us a friday 13th movie and i think the braga and the more scripts is definitely one of those ones that is that's not a friday 13th movie at all yeah i think that's uh, similar to the fredhead idea like it's a cool concept and would work in another movie maybe maybe not something that has a whole franchise because then how do you sequelize that that's confusing but might work as its own standalone project, but again, even Freddy versus Jason, it's just needlessly complicated. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I would, that's, I mean, that's kind of like what I, I think of uh, Jason X. Like, uh, I, you know, I, I agree with Alex, and I think I said that on the last episode too. Like, Jason X is such a fun movie. Like, I wouldn't consider it a good Friday the Thirteenth movie at all. But if it was called something else, and there wasn't Friday the Thirteenth before that, Jason X would be great. You know, and if if they made a movie based on the Braga and the Moore script and it wasn't a Friday 13th movie, it was just a slasher, you know, mm-hmm. in general, I think it could be interesting. But we have these this idea in our own heads. And, yeah, it varies from person to person. But we we have we each have these ideas of what a Friday 13th film is. And I, I think that it's really important when you make one to respect that as a whole. I would agree. And I think that it. Also, I think it would be a major disappointment to fans if they're going to walk in and see their kind of like zombie hockey masked killer that they had come to know and love through the years and find out that it's just this real guy that kills people would have been a massive letdown. Which, one thing that's, well, it, it's, it's a slap to the face to every experience that you've had prior. Like mm-hmm. I, it's, it's the same feeling that I got uh, – Man, I, I hate dissing the same movies every episode, but it's kind of like the same feeling I got when I walked out of Halloween 6. Mm-hmm. I was just like, really? That's what I was scared of all these years? Like someone that's led by a senior citizen cult? Like right. ass, you know, like I'm not into that. And what's funny is I think Halloween 6, the portrayal of my, the way that Michael is actually portrayed in that movie, the way he moves, the way he stalks is closer to the first movie. And if you were to remove oh, the cult element, so but that's a, definitely um, I mean, George Wilbur's great. Yeah. But um, what you find here, what's interesting, because you mentioned, Jerry, one of your complaints about what we end up getting is that it's too much of a Freddy movie. This is the only script that actually reverses the names on the script where it's not really? Freddy versus Jason, but it's Jason versus Freddy. Jason is much more front and center uh, in this movie. There are some meta elements to it. So to play to the idea of like what you had said, like where, well, does this tie into what scream was trying to do? There's an element in the courtroom where Jason's public defender lawyer is actually <laughs> playing. <Sorry. yep. laughs> he is playing. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. It's Jason's really... public defender lawyer. Yes. Yep. I never thought I'd hear that sentence in my life. I know. I know. Um, is playing a scene from a fictional sequel, Friday the 13th, Part 10, Jason's Greatest Hits and Chops, where they're playing like fictional scenes from that movie. So it's almost like Stab with a movie playing in Scream 2 in some ways. Like, it's really fucking bizarre. Um, and these were like, these were the Star Trek guys, right? 
Right. And as the movie is playing, the lawyer is yelling at the screen, like telling the actress on camera, like, don't go in that house or don't follow. You know what I mean? Like she's, you know, so it kind of pokes up to your point. It pokes a lot of fun. Like there's things like um, browsing the horror, uh, horror aisle of a video store. Um, there's a movie called Zombie Sluts from Beyond the Grave being a seminal film for having the first ever depiction of a fully nude triple impalement. Um, there is a spirited defense of Sean Cunningham's original Friday the 13th um, done in courtroom and one of the attorneys call it garbage. Um, the other lawyer objects and makes a defense of it. Like really weird shit that is like going man. on in this movie. Set phasers to suck. So, man. Um, and I think to you, so one of the things is like Freddy Krueger in this movie is much darker. They do return him to those roots. Um, and it plays a little bit by the Nightmare and Elm Street 2 rules where Freddy can pull himself out of the dream world and into the real world. So it kind of goes back to the rules that were in Freddy's revenge. Um, The climax takes place in a mall. And I think what you had mentioned when we did Freddy versus Jason, Jerry was like, this is where you see the idea of robo Jason. Like Jason sees that Chrome mask and like sporting goods, right? Yep. So end of it. um, That. Yeah. And I think, like, at the end of this movie, there is, like, some sort of, like, Jason is, like, considered pretty sympathetic at that point. I don't know. I think that's how it ends up um, playing that's itself. A good, that's a good criminal defense lawyer, then. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> like, do, so, do they try to fit the glove on Jason? Or I is that Freddy? <laughs> that would have to be Freddy. <laughs> that, would be a, that would be right around this time, too. Holy shit. That would have been gold it would have been fucking gold right there if the glove don't fit you must have what oh my god you go back and remake <laughs> oh, Nightmare oh, oh, dude. and it would be a, a great play on like the classic lines like freddie trying on the glove going this is odd because it doesn't fit <laughs> that would be amazing you remake in elm street and you bring in like if the glove don't fit you must have quit and that's how it's not that the lawyers got fat and the judge got stupid but it's more it's more that the glove didn't fit. Oh, I love it. You guys I, need to stop your legal issues and hire me to write this movie. Oh I will do it for a copy of the new Vice Squad Blu-ray. All right. So I ask once again, folks, who would you pay to see this movie? I would. Fuck yeah. That sounds so weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm of the two. I, I'm more Team Fredheads right now, but... I do think this has some good ideas, some interesting ideas, I should say. Again, not good for a Freddy vs. Jason movie. Not appropriate for a Freddy vs. Jason movie, I should say. Um, but interesting idea. Like, I always appreciate a good meta movie. Yes. I I think it could work. I think that there. I think that what works against it is the idea that Jason Voorhees is a fictional movie character. I think that's the biggest strike against it. If you could find a way to rework that in a rewrite, there is some interesting material behind here. Behind here, okay? So let's. See, I, I would pay for that movie, but after that twist, I would probably ask for my money back. Can you imagine <laughs> if that came out and Twitter was around back then? Oh, God. Oh, my God. 
be so bad. So that movie does not get made, obviously. We do not see a Kramer versus Kramer style. Instead of Freddy versus Jason, yeah, Kramer versus Kramer with two serial killers. We should get Dustin Hoffman to play Freddy and Meryl Streep to play Jason. <laughs> <laughs> she could do it. Wasn't Meryl Streep in Freddy's Revenge? Uh, no. She looks oh, so basically, funny. yeah. yeah. Basically, she was. Um, okay. So here are the, aside from the movie we got, the next one we're going to talk about is probably the closest thing we got to see being made. Okay. 1997 comes around. Special effects guru, the man behind the, the all the effects we know and love from the thing, Rob Bottin, is named director of Freddy vs. Jason. Uh August 1997. Not only that, but at a conference called Show West. Do either of you guys know what this is? Show West? I do yeah. not. It's like a distributor. Yeah. You're basically marketing your movies to like yep. distributors, right? So to, yeah, to like, oh, like, uh, like kind of test, test trailers and yeah. proof of concept. I believe stuff. so. Yeah. It's basically yeah. Comic Con for movie theater distributors. Uh, is the way it sounds like you basically get all of these distributors to come in and these studios kind of like show them here's what we have coming up in the next couple years. How many screens do you want to put this movie on? They actually show a sales reel of Freddy versus Jason. They show now it doesn't have any footage from Freddy versus Jason because none exists. There's not even a script yet. It shows kind of like a greatest hits package. Have, have you seen that? It is online. We'll I'll put yeah, it in. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah. I, I, I watched it and it's like the biggest WWE like teaser ever for yeah. this movie. Like it I mean big symphonic sounds and mm-hmm. It's great. Like I watch that from time to time just to think of what could have happened if Botine would have done that movie. And you get pumped watching it. You oh absolutely. yeah. So I mean, I would see you know I and, and the people at Show West go ape shit for it. They think this is going to be the greatest thing. Uh, Variety magazine announces that Rob Botine is on board. Um, a screenplay is turned in by Ethan Reif and Cyrus Voris. They are known for Tales from the Crypt, Demon Knight, um, which had been a moderate success and helped kind of revive that franchise a bit. Um, this movie, once again, brings back the Fredheads that were missing from the um, Ronald Moore script. Um, the Fredheads are trying to revive Freddy Krueger. Jason Voorhees is entered into the script by with the idea that they're going to try to stop one monster with another monster. He is revived in a really cool way. He's at the bottom of Crystal Lake right now, kind of like it's the end of Part 7, and a still-beating heart that has been ripped out of someone's chest is tossed into the lake, makes its way into Jason's chest, and that revives him. It's a random person? I, You know what? I'd have to go back and read I, it. I don't I think... If I recall correctly, it's like the the main, the final girl's boyfriend. And I want to say his name is also Jason because they just okay. couldn't avoid that. Oh, that's boy. really cool. I think that's really cool. Um, the world now, you know, the world we see in Jason versus or Freddy versus Jason, it looks like our world right now. The world of this movie is chaotic. There's global panic, high suicide rates. It's basically chalked up to Millennium Fever. Because remember, this is 1997, so it's still not quite the turn of the century yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
it is still so basically people fear the world is going to end and there is a fucking mass chaos everywhere Jesus. Um, the uh, Robert England years later talks about the script because he received it. He was really high on it. He also says like, it's really, really dark, especially the treatment of Freddie. Um, and he even says like, there's a hint of pedophilia in the character of Freddie Krueger. So, so they it, brought that back. It goes back to that idea that was touched upon, but never, it was really tiptoed around in the original Elm Street series that Freddie didn't just kill children, he sexually abused them as well. That's interesting, and that's one of the only things, I hate to say that I liked, because, I mean, I obviously don't like pedophilia, but that's one of the things that I appreciated about the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street, is they brought Freddie back into being mm-hmm. basically a piece of shit. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it's it's easy to hate a character that is, you know, a bastard. And I, I think that as fun as the sequels are, I mean, by the, by the time Freddie versus Jason came out, mm-hmm. like, Freddie was kind of like, you know, a comedian that everyone's like, oh, shucks, you know? Like, I grew up as a kid wearing that as a costume every year, you know, mm-hmm. Freddie or Jason. And it's just like, sometimes you have to sit back and be like, wait a second, that, that dude was a pedophile. Like, he's not cool. Right. That's I think that, that's, that makes it scarier. Like, I, I, want, I want my antagonists in movies to be terrifying. I want them to scare me. Mm-hmm. Alex, jump on in, but I'm sorry, man. I want to make sure you get plenty of chance to talk. Sorry about that. Uh, no, no, I appreciate that. No, um, I I think the prospect of, of Rob Bottin directing is super exciting just because, I mean, he's such a, a legend in the effects field and now is like uh, an enigma. You can't get a hold of him. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would have been, I wonder what his career would have been like if he if he started directing because I don't believe he ever directed anything. Right. Um, he- it, uh quick aside about the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, if he, if Freddy was molesting kids and not killing them, why did he have the glove? What was he using the glove for? Like, why did he need a razor glove? But anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I think this isn't like my favorite draft, but I do think, I think setting it in, in this world, this like almost post-apocalyptic, or mm-hmm. I guess like pre-apocalyptic technically world, um, I don't know, that, that seems like it would have dated the movie a lot, especially setting it around the millennium. Mm-hmm. Um, it would, would have been like a, another hard pill to swallow on top of already combining these two characters that live in different worlds. Well, right. didn't Botine feel the same way? I mean, didn't he like kind of not really take oh, that script? So we'll get to that in one moment. You are 100% okay. correct. So this does bring back the idea of the character of Lizzie needing to be impregnant, impregnated in order to bring like Freddie back into the real world to kind of rule it over like a hellish landscape. The movie concludes with a battle through the dreamscape, the nightmare world. Okay. Jerry, you mentioned the um, sizzle reel being like a big WWE. Yeah. You don't know how close you were right here. Okay. So let's actually take a minute and insert the um, sizzle reel track. This is what, the distributors at Show West would have heard uh, and seen when New Line presented it in front of them. And we'll link to the video in our show notes, but you can also just go to YouTube and Google Freddy versus Jason Show West. Uh, this is what was meant to get kind of the theater distributors excited. It's basically a greatest hits 
of A Nightmare on Elm Street, along with some clips from the night, uh, Friday the 13th series overall. And the distributors went bananas for it, like they knew that they had a potential massive hit on their hands. And it is like a WWE Stone Cold Steve Austin versus The Rock uh, type of feel to it overall. So let's go listen to that really quick and then come back to the show. They are the two greatest champions the world has ever seen. All who witness their power fear them. All who try to stop them fail. Now, at last, they will face each other in the fight of the century, in the showdown of the millennium. Miss me. Is Jason. This movie ends in something called a nightmare arena. It's a boxing ring with bloody entrails for ropes. And instead of turnbuckles, you have like severed heads on the corner post. Okay. You don't now the original idea was to have like hell's most prominent residence, but instead of that, you have the Fred heads as the crowd. Um, Dominic Necros is your ring announcer doing the let's get ready to rumble phrase from Michael Buffer. Um, <laughs> and Evanescence starts playing, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and you have like the Rocks theme song, Stone Cold's theme song. Um, Necros announces Freddy's weight at 160 pounds and Jason at 487 pounds. So it's a lot like it's a lot it's a lot like the promotional stuff that Robert England and King Kersinger did for yeah, Freddy. They ended up Jason. actually mm-hmm. doing it. Yeah. They did like the weigh in in Las Vegas. Yeah, That's exactly it. It's exactly it. Um, the movie ends like it looks like Freddy's going to win and Jason surprises him by ripping off his glove hand and then stabbing him to death with it and then decapitating Freddy like a popping a cork off a shame champagne bottle. Now, this might have been a bridge too far for fans. I'm going to quote again from Slash of the Titans, the mass titan. Jason falls back, dying from his many battle wounds. Jason turns to Michelle and in a low vo- voice, low and hoarse, finishes Freddie's song, We Can Sleep Again. <laughs> oh, God. This is bad. Why? That is bad. Is bad. So well, I, don't, really- I, don't, I don't know if that's the worst part. I mean, having entrails is, is wrestling ring ropes and heads. Yeah. And I think that'd be decorals. cool in a in a comic book, maybe. But I can't imagine like, that I working like, on film. I feel like this whole setup would be a music video for Twisted. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I you know that you know, absolutely know that the song that would be playing would be "Let the Bodies Hit the Floor" by Stained. <laughs> Right. Wasn't that used in the promotional shit anyways? It was. Oh, absolutely. That would have been that. It would have been like it would have been as like Smash Mouth's um, <laughs> rock star is to Shrek. Let the body hit the floor would be to this movie. Absolutely. Uh, for, for the record, before you get yelled at, let the bodies hit the floors by Drowning Pool. Know your new metal. Thank you. All right. I am <laughs> sorry. I am so sorry. One point away from it at this point. All right. 
So, Alex, you can hang the fuck up now, correct? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Thanks. The, we, the people deserve accuracy in we, your new metal references. We strive for veracity. I need and, to know who is utilizing those seven strings, all right? I think the entrails and severed heads would be fun if you did a video game of this. I think, like, if you had a fighting game of all the killers. Yeah, that's it. sounds like something in a more Speaking of, have you guys played Video Drum? I have not. No. It. It is. It's online. It used to be like widely available, but I think they got sued so many times. It's Mortal Kombat with every slasher icon. Oh, okay. I have, oh I have, like, my god, that sounds that awesome. Oh, it's it, it's fun. It has a lot of issues, but yeah, it's it's a fun game that you could download for free. Okay, we will. Because I mean, legally, legally, they can't, you know, sell, sell it. it. You mean they didn't go about and get the rights? Oh, right. Right. Like Candyman, Chucky, Ghostface, Freddy, mm-hmm. Jason, Michael Myers—they're all in it. And holy shit, do you guys know what Ethan Reif and Cyrus Voris went on to do? Uh, hopefully not Freddy vs. Jason. No, uh, what is it? <laughs> Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> Naturally. See, that is a better fit for Severed Heads and Entrails. Well, yes, I was going to say, doesn't the final Kung Fu match take place in hell with uh, Severed Heads and Entrails? <laughs> and Drummy Boy. That's fucking amazing. Not stained. Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit. Stained. That is yeah. fucking amazing. I mean, the, the people who ended up writing Freddy vs. Jason wrote Baywatch, so I mean, yeah. you gotta gotta feed your family. Also, in in skimming skimming like a little interview with them, they were asked who would they cast as Dominic Necros. Um, two guesses. I have to hear this. They're, uh, music, they're musicians. You would probably associate with this kind of music. Oh, Marilyn Rob Manson. Manson. Ding ding ding! Marilyn Manson is one of the two. Rob Zombie, Alice Cooper. Mm, close. Well, no. Harvey Keitel. No, I'm just kidding. You're gonna have a he- you're gonna have like a head like a hole if you don't guess who it is. Trent Reznor, are you serious? Trent Reznor. That's oh, who they wanted. That's who they wanted to play Dominic. Like Saints or Filter. <laughs> right. So, needless to say, we don't get this movie. Um, Botine rejects it, and he decides to come up with his own thirty-page treatment with the idea that Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees are fictional characters. Right on. <laughs> so three scripts are developed, and I'm really going to touch on really one of them, because they all pretty much go around the same idea here. i got to say, guys, we're coming up in one hour. <laughs> we haven't even got to Freddy vs. Jason. How are you guys doing? I want to be uh, respectful. Okay. Alan, how are you? How I'm are you good. Time? I'm good. Okay. I might suggest for for the listeners' sake, maybe do one episode as the preamble, everything leading up to the movie, then another one as the movie. I think that might be what we do, and that would actually work for me because I'm going to be leaving the country, and I don't fly back until the day that we normally drop an episode. If well, we broke, there you go. You got your filler set up. If, if you we need broke it. this into two, um, that covers us a little bit. So all right, but yeah, all right. Good. Good so let's talk really slowly then. Um, <laughs> All right. So David Goyer and James Dale Robinson are brought on to flesh out Botine's idea. David Goyer would go on to direct, uh, sorry, to write the Blade movies. Um, He's also become kind of one of your go-to guys for a lot of superhero movies. I know he's done like rewrites on Batman Begins and a number of other projects. His work is kind of hit or miss, but I mean, he's done some pretty cool stuff. I'm not going to take that away from him overall. Um, they, you know, here's the deal. Dave, David Goyer is not really a big horror movie guy. 
he's definitely not a big idea. He doesn't really like the idea of combining characters from different franchises. He does it as a favor to Rob Bottin, who had kind of gotten him some work earlier in his career. And he's on the record of saying that crossovers are an admission a franchise is on its last gasp. And then didn't he write Batman vs. Superman? He did. So you are correct. <laughs> so oh, good. So you are correct. So basically, when DC comes around with that DC money, <laughs> fuck yeah, man! I will write. I will write the shit out of Batman versus. That's like how you can find a tweet conflicting anything out of Donald Trump's mouth. Yeah. Like he said oh, the opposite yeah. two years a, earlier. There's a tweet for everything. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, he's like, all right, so here it is. Batman – oh, you know what? This is even better. Speaking to the Los Angeles Times in 2005, he said, Batman versus Superman is where you go when you admit to yourself that you have exhausted all possibilities. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. It's like Frankenstein meets the Wolfman or Freddy versus Jason. It's somewhat of an admission that a franchise is on its last gasp. Okay. James Dale Robinson is a writer for DC Comics, best known for creating the character of Starman. Really good series from, I believe, the uh, early to mid-90s overall. Uh, and Goyer would go on to write the original Blade, um, which is a fantastic – I really love the first couple Blade movies. I think they're really fun. Okay. Well, I mean, like you said, his his work is very hit or miss. He's written some movies that I'm a huge fan of, like Death Warrant, or I, I'm one of the few people that love The Crow City of Angels, mm-hmm. you know? He wrote fucking Dark City, which I think is one of the most underrated movies around. Dark City is incredible. At the same time, he also wrote Jumper. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wrote Demonic Toys, which, I mean, it's fun. Mm -hmm. But then again, you know, I mean, this is the guy that is mostly known for, like, remakes and sequels. I mean, he is – he's writing the new Hellraiser remake. He wrote the early story for the new Terminator movie. I mean, mean, no offense to him, but I think if anyone doesn't have – a room to speak it's this dude right i think it's fair to say he's become a paycheck guy does that make sense yeah so yeah who was it i think it might have been who appeared in dungeons and dragons that you never would expect to like appear in a movie like that who's like the well-known marlon wayans right <laughs> marlon wayans let's look this up really quick um <laughs> because dragons. he has like a really great quote um it reminds me of uh, Michael Caine in Jaws 4. He always says like he did it because it paid for his new house or something like that. That's it. Yeah, uh, I love that. He he can't accept the Oscar that year because he's <laughs> filming Jaws 4. Yeah. That's and it. They ask, him, they ask him if he's ever seen it, and he's like, no, but I've seen the house that it paid for. That's yes, exactly. You, you know what? I was incorrect about D&D. That's it. Like, I've <laughs> seen the house that it's paid for. And I think with like D, D, with the Dungeon Dragons, the actor was like, you know, sometimes you have to pay for the lighting in your house. You know, like... <laughs> You got to pay for the got to pay for the shit. So I think Goyer has kind of become that guy. Not to say he hasn't written some really fun movies, but um, it's what, we, what he's come up with this is where he's kind of at now. So this version of Freddy and Jason assumes that both Freddy and Jason are fictional characters um, similar to like a new nightmare. They are fictional characters that are now bleeding onto the real world. What happened, this is a kind of like say no to drugs movie like Nancy Reagan and Tipper Gore would maybe actually secretly wrote this movie under the names, David Goyer and James. (laughs) Can you imagine Tipper Gore using the, the pen name of David S. Goyer? (laughs) She's responsible for Dominic Necros. Oh, 
Okay. So this has a bunch of teenagers going to Crystal Lake to party. And what they're going to do is they're going to take a new drug called somnum, uh, somnambuline. It's a drug that basically combined with alcohol will make you really sleepy and make you trip absolute balls when combined with alcohol. Um, all the kids begin to take this drug. One of them has a really bad reaction. And what's happening are her friends are basically dressing like Freddie and Jason and fucking with her and her friends. Like they're going around <laughs> pranking them and scaring them, uh, except now the kids are starting to die. Like all of a sudden they're not pranks. Like, is it the real Freddy or is it the real Jason? Um, the movie ends up being revealed to be a really bad dream by the lead no character. Oh, can you up. imagine that? That, that has to yeah. be the worst take out of all of them. Yeah. Like, it's basically April Fool, April Fool's Day. Like, April Fool's yeah, Day. Like, yeah. right. The whole it's, movie? It's it, The whole movie ends up being a fever dream that is um, brought to light. Like, she wakes up and they realize that she's having all of these after effects from taking this drug and falling asleep. Um, no matter how how see, I have, it comes before it, I mean that just that sucks every all the air out of the room. Like there's no coming back from right. that. I it's, have like very conflicting opinions on that because on one hand that is the worst fucking idea ever, <laughs> and the second one is like I don't know how many times that I've tripped balls and went through a whole Halloween movie in my head. So I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing. The movie brings back Dominic Necros. Like, I don't what oh, the fuck boy. is it about? What is it with Dominic Necros? Like, what exec really fought for Dominic Necros? Like, what, what guy? What guy kissed his wife and his kids, drank his coffee, went into New Line, and it's like, listen, guys, today's the day that I'm really gonna make Dominus ne- Dominic Necros land. It never <laughs> land. He is gonna pop off this fucking page right now. Okay. Um, Ba, 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 like, I feel like whatever exec came up with that idea, like that was his his like goth name when he went to like the clubs as a teenager. <laughs> right. So this is it is the most fucking seventeen year old goth like um, usernet like chat board oh, name. Yes. Yeah. It's like early horse sites would love that name. Right, you know, no offense, no offense to these dudes because they're like legends in the field, and I I love each of them on a personal matter. But like Uncle Creepy, Ryan Rotten, Mister Disgusting, mm-hmm. like Dominic Necros would have been for one of these sites. So here is a challenge to our listeners: if you have a baby coming up, if you name <laughs> your baby Dominic Necros, and we want a copy of the birth certificate, we will send you something nice for a prize. I have a laser disc of Jason Lives. <laughs> it is yours. It is fucking yours if you name your baby Dominic Necros. I have a signed picture of PJ Souls. So I will throw that into the mix. All right. I don't fuck. I have a box set of the Halloween movies. Dominic Necros as your kid. It's not going to you. I just wanted to sound like, throw, that, throw that in there. Okay. Um, so this is an idea that the Elm Street remake will actually borrow from years later. The nightmares in this movie don't take place in this dream world, but the kind of like Crystal Lake fades in and out of the dream world in present reality. So you, as an audience, you never really know what is a dream and what's real right now, which is kind of neat. Um, 
but also given the rest of the movie, not not really that great. I don't think it would have gone really well. So Dominic Necros is in it. Dominic Necros murders Lizzie's boyfriend, tosses his heart into the lake. So to your point, Alex, this is another script that takes that idea. When the lake gets when the heart gets tossed in, Jason comes back. And to make things even more confusing, because Jason and Freddy are supposed to be fictional characters of their own movie franchises, Goyer and Robinson bring back the plot point of Freddy being a camp counselor who rapes and murders young Jason, which I don't know how that can be a plot point when they're not in the same movie series at this point. Well, so, that, that's something I, I do appreciate in the final Freddy vs. Jason we got. They didn't, like so many of these, these previous drafts, they didn't bother trying to connect them. They didn't make Freddy a camp counselor. They didn't make Jason an Elm Street kid. They just, I mean, we got like a little, we got a hint of that in the dream sequence where we see, mm-hmm. uh, where we see Jason drown, but like it was obviously a dream. But like it's so hard to just kind of, especially back then, now it's a lot more common, but to just kind of kind of retcon stuff that's so established in the timeline. I'd rather a movie that kind of just takes place like in this ether where you're not sure exactly where, where it takes place in the timeline than one that completely reverts so much that we've already seen. Yeah, no, that, that, I agree. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I like that it's a return to a Freddy that you see in part four, part three, four, and five. It's a Freddy that knows your weaknesses and plays on that. And exploits it, yeah. And exploits it. That's a really good idea. I think that's where we go. All right. So two, so this basically, here's the deal. Sean Cunningham and New Line Cinema throughout this whole, whole ordeal, they're now about five or six years in, and neither of them can come to agreement of what a Freddy versus Jason movie should be. They agree on one thing. No Dominic Necros. <laughs> nope, not even that. Because Dominic Necros is in the next couple drafts. Oh, uh, my God. The Goyer and Robinson <laughs> script sucks. They do not. They're like, they both are like, fuck no, we're not making this movie. There are two other scripts that kind of go in this direction. Um, I think Abel and Berger are one of them overall. But basically, after about two years, Rob Bottin just stops answering calls from Cunningham and New Line Cinema. Well, wouldn't you when every single call puts Dominic Necros in your face? <laughs> so they, but I think like the Necros thing. I don't. I think Bottin was on board. I think he's part of their his treatment overall. But he's just like these guys are never going to get it together. I'm going to play Tekken. Um, well, I would have probably would have been John Carpenter playing video games. But Botine is basically like, this ain't getting done. I'm changing my phone number. I'm hiding in the woods. Like he's <laughs> not never coming back. From. They just like, has anyone heard from Rob? And there was like, no. So I basically, Freddie versus Jason and Dominic Necros is what <laughs> what made Rob Botine just like yeah, check out. Like exactly. we still haven't heard from him. Basically, at this point, between 1997 and 1998, New Line Cinema and Sean Cunningham have taken a giant pile of money and they have lit it on fire. That's what they've done at this point. This is when Cunningham says, like, "Okay, enough is enough. If you guys aren't going to make a movie, 
I'm going to make a Jason movie. And this is when Jason X comes to be like, he gives them this, basically this arbitrary deadline to say, get me a script. That's going to be greenlit so we can make this movie. And they don't. So he's like, all right, we're sending Jason to space. One small step for mankind, one giant step for hockey mass serial killers, basically. Yeah. That's what happens. Like in between the the draft they try to get going after this is by um I'm gonna mispronounce the name here, Mark Verheiden. Um, who his, basically he was the uh, creator of the mask movie. So he's kind of a hot commodity, but even he cannot come up with a working script. I think he eventually goes on to do like Jason versus Freddy versus Ash for comic books or some of the comic books. But um, th- he makes one last run at the uh, Boteen um, trilogy of scripts. And it's the basics, basically the same framework. They take this drug. It mixes bad with alcohol. It amplifies their nightmares. The friends are all suffering deaths. And you don't know if it's a dream world or the real world. So um, I think the one thing is like there's a direct reference to Rob Lane uh, from the original Nightmare on Elm Street movie. His younger brother um, appears in a supporting role. I think this movie doesn't get made because... Dominic Necros, Jerry, you are correct. No Dominic Necros. <laughs> it's a bummer. I would have liked to. No, I'm just kidding. I, okay. I can't even yeah. pretend. So, all right. So this, at this point, takes us all the way up to the point um, where a script gets made at this point. So let's end part one of this episode right here with where we are by 2001, okay? Nowhere. Where is we are nowhere. <laughs> New Line Cinema has been absorbed into Time Warner. Time Warner has been absorbed into America Online. By 2001, New Line Cinema has a string of flops. Little Nicky, starring Adam Sandler as like the Devil's Kid, is cost like $45 million to make and makes $15 million. And this is Sandler coming off of like four Really good comedy. Sandler coming off The Wedding Singer, um, The Waterboy, Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore. This is his first flop at this point. Dungeons and Dragons comes and goes. It loses like $40 million. Now, the biggest flop is a movie called Town and Country starring Warren Beatty. It makes $6 million on a 90 million dollar budget 90 fucking million dollars for a warren baby movie that is not dick tracy dude i i i freak out if i lose five dollars i know alone (laughs) not let alone fucking like 84 million out of 90 so i don't get i sometimes i hear these like what some of these dramas that have no special effects what they cost to make and my mind is completely blown away by how much they caught and who thinks that you're going to, and that's $90 million in $2,001. So that is, that's Avengers budget right there. Like you should have Thanos coming down to snap this movie out of existence (laughs) at this point. Okay. Um, Okay. So Mike DeLuca is promptly shown the door after green lighting this movie. So go nowhere. Um, Basically, after like a decade of trying to develop Freddy versus Jason, being a real champion for it, he and Bob Shea 
it, it's written that they don't really have one falling out, but that Bob Shea has kind of grown tired of Mike DeLuca's antics behind the scenes and them just butting heads over creative ideas over and over again. Because Bob Shea is very much a, like, let's just get this shit done type of guy. Uh, and it's kind of. Yeah, gotta, yeah. We, we've seen Freddy's dead. It's got to stick in his craw that, like, this is the, you know. This is the house that Freddie built, and he can't get this movie off the ground. Well, it must be like a slap to the face, you know, like like something as huge as Nightmare on Elm Street having so much, so many problems getting this Freddie versus Jason thing. I mean, somebody has to take the blame for it. I mean, why not DeLuca? <laughs> yeah, and he does at this point. DeLuca is, you know, shown the door. The other thing that happens right now with the AOL Time Warner merger, 2,400 people are shown their, the door. So, you know, a lot of people lose their jobs, which sucks, which always happens in these mergers. Um, New Line Cinema goes from having 600 employees to 100, uh, 500 employees. 100 people, uh, or almost 20% of their team, is given a pink slip at this point, including a number of people that are... Um, Involved with Freddy versus Jason. Before Mike DeLuca is fired, he does two things to get this movie finally on the track to get made. Number one, he hires Shannon and Swift to write a spec script of Freddy versus Jason based on some ideas they had pitched him. And number two, he hires one of his interns, uh, Jeremy Katz, to come on board. Uh, sorry, Jeff Jeffrey Katz. Right? Katz Jeff Katz, yeah. my bad. He hires Jeff Katz to the Freddy versus Jason developmental team. And these three are really going to be the ones that shepherd. Um, they're going to shepherd the process along to finally get this movie made after a decade. So I think to our listeners right now, we are over an hour in and I, uh, Jesus, we're almost an hour and a half in. So I think we should record some final thoughts right now on the development process of Freddy versus Jason. Um, and then come back with part two of this episode next week. What are your thoughts on that? I think that out of all of the franchises that have went through so many interesting takes that were never used, I think the story of Freddy versus Jason getting made is a really just enthralling and interesting one. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have Tarant- you have Tarantino wanting to write Halloween, you know, around the time of Halloween Six. You mm-hmm. have uh, you have New Line passing on Peter Jackson doing Freddy's Dead. These are all huge things in history of slasher cinema, but Freddy versus Jason gave us Dominic Necros. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'd rather be reading about Dominic Necros than most things. So, you know, I, I am there. So out of out of all the ideas out of all the ideas, good, bad, and different that we just heard. And by the way, we did not I think we covered maybe half of the ideas right now. I cannot recommend the book Slash of the Titans enough, The Road to Freddy vs. Jason by Dustin McNeil. I think we should probably reach out and try to speak to him at some point. Um, I cannot recommend this book enough. It is a breezy read. Like You could get through it in an afternoon. It is a fascinating look at how the sausage gets made. And as much as we've kind of like taken the piss a little bit, uh, McNeil really approaches this idea from a place of how much he loves these movies and that really comes through in every page like i think it's like 10 bucks on amazon uh, on amazon yeah, Kindle. Yeah. well i'm i'm 
buying it. I'm buying it as soon yep. as we're done. Like, it, yeah, yeah, it sounds great. So, Alex, which of these ideas that we've covered so far intrigues you, piques your interest the most? <laughs> um, I think it's hard to say because I think every script has some strengths. Um, I don't think any is overall as strong as what we ended up with, but it sounds like it's less that like everyone really believed in the Shannon Swift draft and more just like they were kind of in the right place at the right time. Cause that's when this whole regime change happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, I think it worked out for the best. However, I think the best approach is, and I hate to say it cause I don't love it, but like the Fred heads, the, the like the, the earlier drafts that we talked about are probably the best. I don't think the meta elements work or like making the mm-hmm. fictional ver- characters within this universe um like i said i think the fred is a cool concept not necessarily for freddie versus jason but i would love to see a a nightmare on street like rebooted with that concept or something similar to that just change the name yes yes definitely lose firewalkers or some shit (laughs) um but uh, yeah just nothing like makes me super super excited for it which is kind of crazy that with all these drafts, all these super talented writers, people that came from really great stuff and went on to do really great stuff, and nobody really kind of got it right, despite all having all this time and money and, mm-hmm. and energy. And the until first time writers, <laughs> that's what I was going to say. The people who did never wrote a, never had a script produced before. So I mean, just the nature of the industry, I guess. But super interesting. But it wasn't uncommon, though. I mean, look at a Nightmare on Elm Street part. I mean, Chuck Wilson. Um, Dream Warriors is his first movie, correct? Chuck Russell, right? Chuck Russell, thank you. Am I wrong about that? I could be wrong about that. That sounds right. I'm not positive, though. Uh, and, I believe so. I mean, him, uh, like, uh, Russell and Darabont, right? Right. That was their first big thing. And uh, Rennie Hardland had only done, like, a small movie before getting Elm Street 4. And he basically... Yeah, he went straight from prison, yeah, for sure. Yeah. The and movie based- Prison, yeah. <laughs> Once he got out of yeah, um, and it's, it, yeah, we, we are no in no way insinuating that Rennie Harlan is a criminal right here. We don't want to get sued. criminally great, right? Um, he really is. Look, anybody that can land Gina Davis has my respect. God, I love Gina Davis. Um, but he basically hung around New Line Cinemas. Didn't shower, didn't bathe, that said, give me an Elm Street movie. Give me an Elm Street. And Bob Shea's like, just fucking give him a movie. Like, let him do it. That and is it, totally going to be my fucking approach to do uh, a, a Halloween movie. Yeah, let's start yeah. Uh, staking out Blumhouse. Jason should, Blum's going to kick me off the, the stairs. Get him out of here. <laughs> but he just basically, so like you were getting, I mean, um, Rachel Tallahay, who, look, as much as like, I think we're going to cover Freddy's Dead one day and we'll be pretty mixed on it, but she has become the go-to person during the Doctor Who years for Stephen yeah. Moffat. He was like, I need a really good episode. Rachel, you're going to direct this one. Like she's gone on to be a, a, an acclaimed director in television. And a lot of the, these were people that this is how they got their start. And they brought a lot of heart. They brought a lot of imagination. They brought a lot of fresh ideas to these movies overall. And, you know, you didn't need like a huge name in order to direct a Freddy versus, I mean, the, like you said, Alex, Freddy versus Jason, like it's going to sell itself. Yeah. You know, it's going to make a lot of money just based on the name alone. Um, even though both series had hit their commercial nadir at this point. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty, 
pretty interesting overall to see why it took so long. Like I think if DeLuca and Cunningham were left in charge of the approval process, we would be talking today about a movie that never got made. Yeah. I wish Cunningham would approve legal papers. Right. (laughs) I think I think to be honest, I wouldn't be shocked if I, you go back and find out Cunningham would be like, we should make Freddy versus Jason, except Jason can't be in it because I think that character is stupid. Because <laughs> Cunningham hates the character of Jason, yet he will cling to everything about it with his two greedy fucking ham-fisted fingers to squeeze <laughs> every goddamn penny that he can out of it, and nobody else gets a slice of pie at that point. Am I wrong? And am I saying that? Am I wrong? Uh, you know what? I I agree. There's there's a lot. Of, I think. Okay, I understand creating something. You want your respect. You want what you're owed. And I understand Victor Miller. He wrote it. I understand that. But at the same point, you got to look outside yourself. At mm-hmm. this point, at this point, you are basically, you know. And I'm not I'm not going to candy coat it. At this point, you're basically fucking the fans. Yeah. Like it's 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 shitty. It's it's a bummer. It's like you know what I mean. Like, don't overthink it. But I mean, we're we're not even to that point anymore. We're not to the point of like, okay, you guys, your approaches to the new Friday Thirteenth are awful. Let's get a different one. We're to the point where we can't get anything until these two guys just settle it. And it's 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 so fucking shitty. Mm-hmm. And you're only hurting. You know, to your point about saying you're hurting the fans, I think, to be quite honest, when money is involved, all parties are going to say, who cares? But they're hurting themselves. Like, they're not making a penny on this right now. Like, there are people desperate for a Friday the 13th movie. Um, Never Hike Alone has gotten like a half a million or over a million views on YouTube alone. Right? People want to see that movie so bad, and that's a, a that's a, a a really well done fan film. But it's a fan film. You well, even put, the, mm-hmm. the thing is, even like bigger directors. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but even yeah. like bigger directors, even in the horror community, have actively tried to get things going. Mm-hmm. I, I know Mike Mendez. I mean, I don't think it was announced, but I know Mike Mendez went and shot a proof of concept Friday the Thirteenth, basically mm-hmm. short. Uh, that was going to go with that found footage approach that they were teasing every mm-hmm. once in a while. Cause I know, I know cause a friend of mine starred in the, in what Mike Mendes shot. Everyone's trying to get stuff made throughout the years. It is all being held up by two greedy people. Mm-hmm. And, and it sucks. It really does suck. They're only hurting themselves at this point. It's really frustrating. Um, neither of those guys are making a penny off it right now, and it sucks because it's just it's just greed at this point. Well, even the video game. We can't get new content on the video game until they squash this stuff. Yeah, and people are thirsting, absolutely thirsting for this movie at this point. So, you know – this is not a George Romero situation where someone filed the wrong copyright and George Romero didn't make a penny off Night of the Living Dead for years. No matter how the judgment comes out for Cunningham, he's going to make a good amount of money when the Friday the 13th franchise goes back into production. He might not make all of the money, but he's going to make more than he could spend in life in a number of any number of lifetimes. And that's what really sucks is that kind of level of greed. Um, and I'm not afraid to say that. Like, that's just that's just really how it is. It's a real bummer that that's what it comes down to. 
All right. Should we answer some of these questions on Twitter now, or should we save it for the next part? Uh, why don't we answer half of them? Let's do it right now. Okay. So, username Peter Jackson at <laughs> underscore. I know I saw this, and I'm like, Peter Jackson like follows us. So I would say, folks, if you're if you're listening for the first time and thinking of listening to more, just know a gentleman with the same name as the guy who made the Lord <laughs> of the Ring movies thinks we're pretty good. I think that's yeah. a ringing endorsement. That's incentive so, right there. So at Pete at Pete underscore Jackson wants to know: Was there ever a thought to use Tommy Jarvis in these movies? Yes. Know. Was yes. It? Oh, yeah, yeah, you're the right. Adam Marcus. The Adam said. Marcus yeah. concept, which never got made, um, was one of Classic them. Marcus. Okay. All right, here we go. I think we'll save this one. Oh, you know, we'll do it now. Considering the wink from Freddie at the end of the... Oh, this is from Tristan at TJEJ107 from Tristan. Tristan, thanks for listening. Considering the wink from Freddie at the end of the film, I've been praying for a sequel ever since. How well do you think each character is represented, portrayed in this film? Let's do this now. Let's do it as a little teaser for the next episode. Alex, I'd love you to go first. Yeah, we, go for it. We've talked a shit ton right now, and I want to make sure you're getting represented. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, well, Tristan, I actually, contrary to a lot of people, a lot of naysayers' belief, I think it's pretty well represented. You don't. Um, to Jerry's point earlier, Jason does kind of act as a puppet, but only to a point. It's really like just the first act of the movie, and then the whole what makes it Freddy versus Jason is. Jason goes off and just keeps killing when he's only supposed to. I, again, I believe in the original Shannon Swift draft, Freddy's thing is like you only have to kill one person and he just goes on a rampage. But nonetheless, he kills too many people more than more than Freddy wants. Um, so in that regard, like you get Jason gets almost all the kills in the movie. Like it, so that there's like like the cornfield scene is amazing. That feels like vintage Friday the Thirteenth. Um, and then on the other side of it. Like I said, Jason gets all the kills. Freddy only has one kill, but it is cool. It's like a kind of a classic Freddy moment. Mm -hmm. And beyond that one kill, there are like, what, three or four dream sequences. So it still has a Nightmare on Elm Street feel. Mm -hmm. And based on what we've talked about today, I can't imagine any of these scripts, even if they had a director who was like a super fan of the movies, if they're working from any of these scripts that we discussed, I mean, I don't think you'd have something that would is, would is, would feel as well-rounded in both Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday 13th's legacies as the film that we ended up with. Yeah, I think it's a good, I, I think all of that's a really good points. Jerry, how about you? I think you're going to have, do you want to answer this now or do you want to save it for part two? Uh, I'll go for it. I, it's yeah. kind of fresh in my mind. Let's just I do think, a little teaser. That's because I think we're yeah. going to get really in the weeds on it next show. Totally. I think the character of Freddy Krueger is represented very well in Freddy versus Jason. I think Jason is the character that isn't represented as Great as Freddy was. Uh, Jason's scared of the water. Uh, he's kind of a puppet. He serves no purpose until he kind of stands up to Freddy other than to do Freddy's bidding. And and to me, Freddy versus Jason feels like a Freddy movie just with Jason in it and just with Jason doing the kills for Freddy. I, I would have much rather seen, you know, Freddy versus Jason, which, I mean, you get kind of at the end, but leading up to it, it's, it's very much, in my opinion, just Freddy's deal. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Freddy, Freddy's represented. Jason, mm -hmm. not so much. So, and I think we're going to get into why Jason might be underrepresented more in the next episode. I partially agree with that statement overall. Um, 
I think this is a phenomenal portrayal of Freddy Krueger. Number one, you get Robert England stepping into the role for one last time, and you can yes. tell how much fun he's having with this yeah. role. Um, but also, like, Freddy is scary in this one. Like, they bring back, like, this is, although he has some one-liners and quips in the movie, Freddy's not there to fuck around. Like, this isn't Freddy playing video games in you the movie. kids missing eyeballs. Yeah. This like, is like, yeah. it's- he brings his A game. I really like the portrayal of Freddy Krueger in this one. All right, let's do one more now. All right, from uh, Marcos Codis, username Marcos Codis on Twitter, um, who Marcos I think is the one who really wants us to cover Mandy, and I'm like, no, I hate that movie so much. I never want to be mean when we cover a movie, but I honestly think that one that might. I, I think Jerry and I are going to save that for Fantastic Fest one year. Um, I really think. <laughs> Or maybe we do it as a bonus episode when we're in Telluride because it's impossible for me to be in a bad mood in Telluride. Um, but I think I think people would end up turning off the show based on me alone on that movie. Um, but OK, getting to the point. Marcos wants to know, who do you think Jason should have faced instead of Freddy? Preferably from a modern. This is an interesting question. Who should if you didn't do Freddy versus Jason, who would you have J- uh, Jason face? Modern? He said modern. So let's say 2000 on. Let's say, yeah, let's say. Wow. That's good, man. You guys can go first on that one. I'm going to have to think about that for a second. All right, Alex, I'm going to, I'm going to pass. I'm putting this in your lap right now. First thing that comes to mind. Well, even if you just say modern slasher, first thing that comes to mind is Victor Crowley from the hatchet franchise. Yeah. And that would also have a cool, like, meta element because they're both played by Kane Hodder. Well, I mean, not in Freddy vs. Jason, but Jason, obviously, uh, the most times is played by Kane Hodder, and he plays Victor That would Crowley. have, well, that would have given us what, I mean, I love Hatchet 3, but that's, that would have given us what we thought what Hatchet 3 was going to give us, you right, know, right, Derek like Pierce against Kane, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be fun, but it'd also be kind of redundant because, I mean, they're both these, you know, slashers in the woods. Like, it wouldn't, it would be an easy, a lot easier to write and develop than Freddy vs. Mm-hmm. Jason, I would think. And no disrespect to either of those movies because I, I love them both, but they're just like, they almost take place in the same worlds, you know, at a glance. Um, so I think a more, a little more exciting one might be um, Leslie Vernon from Behind the Mask. Hmm. Which already is kind of meta, and but it is established that Jason exists in his universe. Um, so I think that would be a fun one. Plus, he's also a talking killer. Like, as much as I'd love to see Michael versus Jason, they're both these kind of similar archetypes, strong, silent killers where they wear masks. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Leslie Vernon, because he talks, he'd, he'd have well, give it a different vibe, but he's still kind of more woodsy in, in, terms, of, in terms of Jason's style. So I, I think that would be a fun one. I want Jason versus Nicolas Cage character from the Grindhouse trailers. Like I want, mm-hmm. I want Jason oh, okay. versus Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu. Honestly, just Jason versus Nicolas Cage as Nicolas Cage. <laughs> can you imagine going to the theater and asking for that movie? Yeah, can I get one for <laughs> mm-hmm. Jason versus Nicolas Cage? Well, there, there was. Uh, speaking of Mandy, I know it was popular when that movie came out. That the, we don't uh, speak of that movie in this podcast. <laughs> the, the director had Nick Cage watch Friday the 13th. I think it was part seven to like get in the mindset. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, I remember that. Oh, God. So, it's hard to <laughs> All right. I have two answers here. I want him to take on Esther from the Orphan movie. 
<laughs> be awesome. Oh. Um, I actually would love to see drop um, Jason from part three and part four into the Stranger Things universe. Oh, wow. And have the kids from Stranger Things take on a slasher killer. I thought for sure, which isn't exactly what you said, but like not far off. I thought for sure with the new version of Stephen King's It being set in the 80s and being put out by New Line. And in the original It It novel, they're afraid of like the original Universal monster Mm -hmm. movies. So I thought for sure they were going to have Freddy Krueger and it would have been the perfect opportunity. That is such a good point. And I see, I believe... uh, the director or someone came out and said like that's a cool idea and like somebody might have mentioned that at one point but ultimately like it would have taken too much focus off of pennywise which i, I understand and respect but just the, <sighs> the fan service of that moment would have been like i mean unforgettable it would have made a hundred percent sense for the time even if it's only a quick like right. five frame thing it doesn't yeah. have to be a big deal and there is you know, it's like a a nod of having, I think it's like Nightmare on Street 5, because I think it takes place in 89, is like on the marquee at the movie theater. And that's yeah. when I was like, when I was watching the movie for the first time, I was like, oh man, they're really going to do this. And then mm-hmm. obviously they didn't. You know, it's funny, Mike, when you said that you would drop Jason, I only heard drop at first. So I thought, I thought you were going to say you'd want Jason versus Drop Dead Fred. <laughs> <laughs> and I would pay for that movie. Jason versus Pee Wee Herman. Oh, um, I do right. think the idea of of like a a coming of age kids against a slasher. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't think of a prominent example of that happening. I think that's a good final idea. chapter. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but I'm thinking like a group of you know. Uh, oh, no, I, yeah, I know. The totally. closest like, thing to Jason, I guess. The, uh, yeah. So here's my idea: if you were because Blumhouse is on the record of saying they want to get more than Michael Myers under their belt, like they want to get all the icons. You remake the Monster Squad with Freddy, with Jason, with Chucky, that with would be amazing. Michael, some combination of that. And you redo the Monster Squad. I and you let Joe Lynch direct it. In I've I'd pitched this that. to Joe Lynch on Twitter. He's on board. <laughs> Jason Blum, you have so much fucking money. You See, the, okay, the only issue with that is they had to move mountains to get Halloween made. I mean, that's like three or four companies had to come to agreement and over, you know, a long time. Like, can you imagine how much – exactly. Can you imagine how much of a headache that would be okay. like, bringing like four or five different who, slashers? I, I would pay does, for it. Who does Blumhouse have – so they're doing The Invisible Man. Um, who does Blumhouse have under their roof for like really iconic – well, if, if they, they do the, the purge, Invisible Man, right. Hmm? right? They got the new Black Christmas. If if Invisible Man goes well, they're going to keep doing Universal Monster movies, so they mm-hmm. could do a new Monster Squad with the their reinvention of the just, Universal Monsters. That could be cool. I just think like the Universal Monsters, and I love them, and it pains me to say this: they're not going to resonate with kids now. Do you know what I, I mean? Am, I am concerned about like I. I I trust Lee Wanell. He's going to come up with something cool. But yeah, I don't know if it'll be like scary per se. I don't know. I'm, I'm interested to see. Lee Wanell is going to knock it out of the park. Everything this guy. I, I think Lee Wanell is so fucking talented and Agreed. he knows how to make like, coot. If you haven't seen cooties, like it's yeah. an idea that's like, how has no one made this movie? And it's so much fun and so well, good. The Mule. The Mule is another one that, yep. God, I love the yep. movie. He's and just upgrade like, was awesome. Yeah. Upgrade yeah. is fucking blast you know like we're all fans of lee Wanell here if you're not a fan of lee Wanell, what are you doing with your life okay here's the deal folks we are now 
Wow, we are over an hour and a half in, and we haven't even talked about the movie. So we are going to break this up into two parts, so that way you get Freddy, you get a prequel and a sequel for Freddy versus Jason. Uh, and I feel kind of, Jerry, I am so sorry, because I know you're not a huge fan of this movie, and we're going to talk for like three hours about it. And no, uh, it's it's totally okay, <laughs> you know, as long as I got to talk a little bit about Dominic Necros, I'm okay. <laughs> so... To our listeners, join us next week. Follow us over at Pod and Pendulum over in Twitter. Share us, leave us a review over on iTunes and Stitcher. Um, because of your reviews, we have cracked the top 1,000 TV and film podcasts over in iTunes. And that, you know, it's I laugh. I'm like top 1,000. Oh, come on, what are we doing here? But you know, I'm going to obsessively track our ranking from here on in, and I will not rest until we're in the top like 736 or something. <laughs> um, so we'll be back with next week with Freddy versus Jason Part Two. Thank you for bearing with us. We'll talk to you next week. All right, guys, here's like if we can do one thing. Could we pause for like five minutes so I can take my dog out to pee? And then I'll re- we'll rejoin the call at like 8 o'clock. Is that cool? I would love to take that time out so I can pee. So I am okay. definitely on board. So 10 minutes from now. All right. And if we ever need pee breaks, let me know. And I'm going to hang it up now. That way it will be easier to edit. Okay. Perfect. All right. Sounds good. Sounds good.